0: Welcome to the One City Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people draw closer to God by practicing the way of Jesus. We hope that your time with us blesses you and that you're able to see the invitations of Jesus to experience the love that he has for you. Father, we just uh, we just commit this time to you, Lord. We just ask that You would just remove any sort of cloud or fog or haze that is causing any sort of interference. We pray for your spirit to just guide us, to speak to our hearts, to direct us. And I pray, Father, that this time will glorify you and that people will experience you, draw near to you, and be able to have an encounter with you, Jesus. So we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the course of my faith journey, I've had numerous conversations with both non-believers and people of different faith backgrounds. And, you know, as you do, you ask them, you know, what they think about the church and Jesus as they have experienced it here in the West. And they all tell me something along the lines of this. Honestly, Paul, I'm all for progress towards a better world and a better future. You know, we love the social activism to fight injustice, to feed the poor and to help those in need. But to be honest, what I struggle with is how can you tell someone else that Jesus is the absolute truth when they may have another truth that is just as valid and real to them, maybe in some cases more real to them than Jesus? I think everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe. At the end of the day you just have to be true to yourself and follow your heart follow your heart you do you be true to yourself there seems to be no shortage of these days of sayings like these that emphasize the self and the inner feelings as the absolute authoritative source for how to function in society and to live life We can think about this concept of the modern self and the pursuit for authenticity in our culture. And we know this as expressive individualism. So American scholar, Robert Bella coined the term expressive individualism and he defines it as a unique makeup of feeling and intuition that each person holds that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. What does that mean? In short, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. Things that were once unquestioned orthodoxy, like how marriage is to be between a man and a woman, for example, are now regarded as blasphemy advocated only by the dangerous, the small-minded, the bigoted, the hateful. And I'm not using this example to put myself on the political spectrum of right or left. I'm simply highlighting the reality that we as a generation are facing all this cultural shift and instability, which is extremely disorienting as we're left wondering if whether opinions and the ways of living life that we have held since childhood are really true or whether they are simply the result of our upbringing. And the reason why this train of thought and thinking of how you, know, you do you, whatever you believe is true, has been normalized is because of what the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor calls a social imaginary. So social imaginary is a set of values, institutions, laws and symbols through which people imagine their social whole, meaning this is the way ordinary people imagine their social surroundings. So for example, if I see a person being mugged on the street, I don't need to go back and read like Aristotle and like reflect upon research on ethics before I spring into action, right? Like when you see something like that, you instinctively know that the situation is wrong and that you need to do something in response to help that person. That's a social imaginary. Like, the way we operate in the world, much of it is constructed by this way of thinking. We're like social creatures, and we just know certain things. Like, you just don't steal things or kill people. You know, it's just bred into us. And over the course of generations and hundreds of years since, the first seed of individualism was planted in the pre-enlightened era, it's come to become normalized, like, and it's very hard to break out of this herd mentality because we are wired to be in life of community and others. So what we're left here as followers of Jesus in this 21st century post pandemic world is that the way of Jesus of living life, not based on our own feelings and intuition, but on God, his reality, his principles, his guidance, his heart has come to be fiercely in opposition with how the world operates. It's literally like we're aliens living on a different planet that people can't understand why we would live any other way than to follow your own heart and do whatever you feel like you want to do. It's, a, it's like mind-blowing for people. It's like, why are you so different, you know? So for centuries, followers of Jesus would summarize the heart of Christian spirituality, as surrendering to the love of God. The telos of the spiritual journey, which is the Greek word for the end goal, the fulfillment, the completion, is to become a person of love as defined by Jesus. But as long as we need our life to go a certain way, as long as the self is at the center of how we live out our lives, we will, despite our best intentions, act in ways that are unloving to anyone and anything that gets in our way. Fear is at the root of all unloving behavior and all sin, because fear operates within us in such a way that we need to be in control, and we need to pre- and it prevents us from letting go and allowing ourselves to surrender our heart to the love of God. Because letting go is scary. Putting your whole weight into trusting and to surrender is scary. Hence why fear is the ultimate antagonist or the resistor to love. The Hebrew word for heart is the word levav. And it's not referring to the organ in your chest. You know, the Hebrews knew that there was something in there that was keeping you alive. But it was a word picture for your inner center. The heart is the trifecta of your thinking, your feeling, and your desire. We could summarize that as your thought life, your emotions, and your freedom of will. It's the inner fulcrum. It's the point that pivots that all of us have that is the cockpit of our whole life. It's, it's what directs everything, right? It's where the thought life, the emotions, the freedom of will, that's where it all emerges. That, that is, what is what the heart is. So then, if our end goal is to be transformed into people of love, which means the surrendering of our heart, of our thought life, our emotions, our desire, we need to be able to see with discerning eyes how our culture that promotes the self and your inner feelings as the absolute source of authority is creeping its way into the church, into our way of thinking, our perception, and it's ultimately creating disorder in our lives by removing God from the center and putting ourselves into the center, right? That's what the culture, that's the, that's the social imaginary right now is that it's normal to do what you want to do, right? So God at the center is not a part of normal social imaginary anymore. It's, it's self is at the center. Everything revolves around the self. So the greatest threat to abandoning our life and surrendering our hearts just may be our very selves. It might just be us. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start by looking at the false self that every single one of us has and how these disordered desires and attachments in our lives get in the way of a life of true surrender. Bless you. So Carl Jung, Some of you guys may have heard of that name before. He's a Swiss psychiatrist. He first coined the term the shadow self, or it's now commonly known as the false self, right? It's a psychological term that referred to those aspects of the personality that we choose to reject and repress. Although these things may not define who we are at the core, they're still very much a real part of who we are. So, for example, I may have anger and selfish tendencies and sadness within me that I choose to repress and reject on any given day, but it doesn't define me as a whole. But I can't deny and say that it isn't a part of who I really am. Jesus has always been on a mission after the human heart. The whole of the scriptures can be summarized into the story of a loving God who created us and his plan for redeeming and rescuing us from this broken state to bring us home to our true self. David Benner in The Gift of Being Yourself writes, everything that is false about us arises from our belief that our deepest happiness will come from living life our way, not God's way. Although we may say we want to trust God and surrender to his will, Deep down, we doubt that God is really capable of securing our happiness. I would argue all of us at the deepest part of who we are, we desire to live a life that is rich in relationship with God. But everything else surrounding us tells us we need to acquire this, accomplish this, accumulate this, become this in order to be happy. Our surrounding world and values all create and support the narrative that we must accomplish and achieve in order to find ourselves and become worthy of love. If you are successful, if you are beautiful, if you are smart, if you are a go-getter, if you work harder than anyone else, then you are somebody worth loving and admiring. That's what the world says. Things like having a family, being successful, starting a business, buying a house, investing in yourself are all good desires. God-given desires that he planted in our hearts that we may multiply and thrive. But when it's out of order in our hearts, these good things become disordered desires and they can become attachments or in the biblical term, idols that subtly remove God as the most central and primary importance and becomes the thing that enslaves us, that we need in order to be all right. You see, the struggle with attachment is that it's the root of all of our fear. It's what holds us in the prison of fear and back from the freedom that comes from surrendering to the love of God. Our anxieties reveal our attachments, meaning whatever you're anxious about, you worry about, you obsess about, you micromanage about, you ruminate about, these things will reveal our attachments, whatever it is that we think we need in order to be okay. And what is an attachment? It's an emotional state of clinging caused by the belief that without some particular thing or some person, you can't be happy. Attachment is not a desire, it's an emotional state of clinging to a desire. It's not wanting something, it's needing something in order to be okay. Our attachments promise us peace and happiness, but instead they give us anxiety and misery because all of our attachments can and at some point will be stripped away from us, whether through death, through a crisis, through suffering, through challenges, or just by natural means. Any and every attachment that is not God will be stripped away and taken from us at one point in romans 7 14 20 you know paul talks about this inner conflict he talks about how we all face against the sin nature in us another term for the sin nature in us we can say are the disordered desires that we've been talking about that stems from the cultural influences the selfish ambitions the temptations And this part of us, this broken sin nature in us is being manipulated and targeted by the three great enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Until we come to acknowledge and embrace the false self in us, the shadow self in us, the part that we don't like about ourselves in us, you know, it's always going to be a direct opposition to the way of Jesus. You know, we're always going to be kind of entangled to these idols and attachments, and it separates us from the true life and union of God that our hearts truly desire. In the words of Paul, we will do what we don't want to do, and things we need to do or want to do, we won't be able to do. Matthew 10, 39 says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. As long as you need your life to go a certain way to be happy and at peace, you will never be happy and at peace, let alone become a person of love. That's the great paradox of Jesus' teaching, you know. Jesus bids us to surrender our hearts to him so that we can have life and life to the fullest. The call of Jesus to die to self doesn't mean that we don't have any desires in life or desires for particular outcomes. Desires are God-given good things when in the proper order. All of us have desires. It just means we aren't emotionally attached to our desires for life to be all right. Proverbs 4:23 says, "Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it." This is why we must take inventory of what is happening within us. How is your thought life? How are your emotions? What about your desires? Are they being affected by the way that you are living life? Are they directing you towards a life of more of God and freedom from the things that enslave you? Or are they leaving your hearts restless and on a never-ending rabbit chase for the next thing? You see, the deepest ache of the heart is the spiritual longing for connection and belonging. No one was created for isolation. So what do we do? We seek to bridge our isolation through people, possessions, and accomplishments. But none of these things are capable of satisfying the restlessness of the human heart. To be human is to have been designed for a deep, intimate relationship with God our Father. This is why surrender is the only way we will ever truly be able to be freed from the compulsions and the brokenness that comes with the human condition and enter into life and life to the fullest. The Bible mentions over 365 times the command to not fear, do not be afraid. Over 365 times it's the most repeated command in all of scripture. And this is why the, re- the reason why surrendering to love is the antidote to everything we've spoken about so far because perfect love drives out fear. But as we've spoken earlier about our attachments our attachments and fear breed control fear breeds control people who live in fear feel compelled to remain in control which prevents us from letting go of control and allowing god to be god and there just isn't any substitute for a genuine encounter with god's perfect love that will drive out the fear drive out the attachments we cling to And Danish philosopher uh, and theologian Soren Kierkegaard, he spent most of his life studying fear, but he also spent most of his life struggling with it. From his studies, he came to the conclusion that one, fear occurs when the human spirit is afraid of itself, two, fear is often a substitute for guilt, and three, Guilt always results in an inhibition of love. Fear occurs when a human spirit is afraid of itself. Fear is often a substitute for guilt and guilt always results in an inhibition of love. Why do I mention this? Because I think oftentimes the part of the self that most people struggle with when dealing with fear are their emotions. All the ugly, the bad feelings of anger, shame, lust, inner urges and desires and the brokenness that they are afraid of having someone else discover. Because who who would love me if they knew what I struggle with, right? The emotions are scary. And then we feel this sense of guilt which gets in the way of love, right? And this is exactly why love is dangerous because it invites vulnerability. Love invites intimacy and abandon. Love demands that we put our heart on the line in trust, with the risk of getting hurt. Questions like, what if I surrender to this love and I'm hurt again? What if I abandon myself to this lover and he or she fails me? What if I reveal myself and I get rejected? The crippling anxiety and the fear of being hurt again or disappointed again prevents us from experiencing and encountering perfect love which ironically is the only thing capable of healing us from our fears. Jesus is the antidote to fear. Jesus and his perfect love is what holds the power to free us from the prison of fear. It's not our believing of certain things about him or trying to be perfect and doing as he commands. It's none of our own doing or accomplishing. It's, It's all a gift. Benner again writes, The true self is the self that we are becoming in God. And this is something we receive from God. It's not an accomplishment, it's a gift. Any other identity is of our own making and is an illusion. I think for many of us, God's love is more of an idea that we hold to be true, but not a personal experience on most days if, if, if i'm being honest the knowing that jesus calls us, us to is one that is personal and experiential it was never meant to be an impersonal objective knowing like the way you would when you study a topic like how you know about george washington right it was never meant to be this objective third person distance kind of knowing saint john on the cross writes how god refuses to be known except by love And until we can come to believe that God not only loves us fiercely and unconditionally, but that he actually likes us, enjoys our unique quirks and personality, and wants to be with us, we will never feel safe enough to open our hearts to allow him in. Jesus knows how we often fail to live up to our own expectations and ideals, how we are more wounded than we'd like to admit, how our love is more self-serving than it appears oftentimes, and how we often lie to ourselves in our hearts. He knew this and still calls us to leave everything behind to follow him and to experience true life, which is striking because what he's doing there is he's putting us in touch and making us aware of the depth of our longing for real change. Surrender isn't just a one-and-done thing. It is something that we have to do daily, over and over for the course of our entire life. The journey of a thousand miles always starts with one step. To surrender our hearts and to allow the Spirit of God to lead our lives will take a lifetime of taking one small step at a time. The French biblical scholar Pierre Bennett spent 35 years praying over the passion and death narratives in Luke's Gospel. And he came to believe that the Abba of Jesus spoke to his son in his moment of greatest surrender as he hung naked, nailed to the cross with spit and blood dripping down. And Bennett believes these are the words that his Abba spoke to him on the cross. And it comes from Song of Songs, verses uh, chapter two, 10 through 14. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed The snows are over and gone. The flowers appear in the land. The season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Let me see your face and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. God was calling Jesus home to an intimacy and love that defied description. A home where every tear is wiped away, where there is no more mourning, no more sadness, and He is doing the same to you every waking moment of your life. He is singing this song over you. So, for the practice this week, you know, as I was kind of praying about it, I think when it comes to trust and just allowing God to really come into our hearts it is a scary thing because you're putting your heart on the line and we've all been disappointed heartbroken let down so often that we kind of get jaded and we we have our walls up and it's hard to trust because trust trust is done in vulnerability trust invites you to intimacy into vulnerability into abandoning yourself so we're going to use the song of songs verse 7 uh, yeah, 710, where it says, I am my beloved and his desire is for me. <clears throat> I want you guys to use that as a, a breath prayer this week to allow the reality of God calling you his beloved, right? What God is doing is that he's not looking for a disciple who is just so perfect and without flaw. The way he sees you right now is that, like, man, you can't do anything to make him stop loving you. And it's not love that's obligatory like he likes you he he thinks you're cool he thinks you're fun he enjoys time with you and he wants to love you and know you but i think with surrender it's like we need to know that that we're safe that that, that we can trust to put our hearts on the line so i want that to be just kind of you know allow that to be this week just kind of let it sink into your heart because Following God with our heart is nothing that comes from our intellect. It's not how we force it with our brain. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It's all about, you know, are you willing to put your heart on line and trust him? You know, it goes beyond the intellect. So to land the plane, um, I would like to finish with a story. So in Carville, Louisiana, It's about 20 miles southwest of Baton Rouge, exists the only leper colony in the U.S. A local priest was deeply involved with this community, and he would regularly go from room to room and visit the lepers, which were victims of Hansen's disease. On one occasion, as he was coming up the front steps, a nurse came running and said, Come quickly and pray with Yolanda, she's dying. Now he always carried the holy oils to anoint anyone who desired it. So he goes up to Yolanda's room on the second floor and sat on the edge of her bed. Yolanda at the time was 37 years old, and five years ago before the leprosy began to ravage her body, she was one of the most stunningly beautiful women God had ever made. The blinding type of physical beauty that causes men and women to stop on the street and just stare. But that was then. Now her nose is pressed into her face. Her mouth is severely contorted. Both ears are distended. She has no fingers on either hand, just two little stumps. Two years earlier, her husband divorced her because of the social stigma attached to leprosy. And he had forbidden their two sons, boys 14 and 16, from ever visiting their mother. The father was an alcoholic complete with frequent violent mood swings, and the boys were terrified of him, so they obeyed. And as a result, Yolanda was dying as an abandoned, forsaken woman. No husband, no son, nobody. So this priest, he anoints Yolanda with oil and prays with her. And as he turned around to put the top back on the bottle of the oil, the room was filled with a brilliant light. It was raining earlier when he had come in, so he thanked God for the sunshine, hoping that will cheer her up. And as he turned back at Yolanda, words can't describe what he saw. Her face was like a sunburst over the mountains, like a thousand sunbeams streaming out of her face, literally so brilliant he had to shield his eyes. So he, asked, he says, Yolanda, you appear to be very happy. And with her slight Mexican-American accent, she said, Oh, Father, I am so happy. So then he asked her, Will you tell me why you're so happy? She said, Yes, the Abba of Jesus just told me that he would take me home today. He vividly recalls the hot tears that began rolling down his cheeks. And after a lengthy pause, asked her, What did the Abba of Jesus say to you? Yolanda says, come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed. The snows are over and gone. The flowers appear in the land. The season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my Yolanda, come. Let me see your face and let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Six hours later, her little leprous body was swept up into the furious love of her Abba. Later that same day, the priest had learned from the staff that Yolanda was illiterate. She had never read the Bible or any book for that matter in her entire life. And he surely had never repeated those words to her in any of his visits. You see, Yolanda was not a person who was going to church every single weekend. Yolanda wasn't desperately trying to eliminate sin from her life. Yolanda literally was a woman who was so broken, lost her hands, lost her physical beauty, lost her kids, her husband, her family, lost everything. And God saw her as this beloved child who was deeply, deeply, deeply loved. And the furious love of God will not stop until all of our hearts are fully surrendered to him. And is it going to be easy? No. Will it challenge and shake you to the core of what you think and you know? Absolutely. But don't let another day go by letting your spiritual journey become what Tozer calls a dull habit, not a burning flame in your heart. And one closing thought is, you know, I've, Recently had a conversation with some dear friends of mine and they, they asked me the question of Do you think most of the Christian spiritual journey is walking through a desert meaning? Is it just the hard stuff? Is, is it just hard and for some reason it just really challenged me I remember just like thinking like man like that's such a good question like I, I obviously don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but Life can't just be all full of like suffering and hardship either, right? But then the more I thought about it, and I was like, man, like usually like the way we learn that we're used to is we're, we, we're used to learning with addition, right? You go to a class and they teach you stuff you put into your brain and you learn stuff or you, you know, we're used to teachings by addition. But the way the desert teaches is through negation. It's by taking away, it's by stripping, it's by removing the layers and peeling away the layers. And I think. God, and his great love for us, does over the course of a lifetime, what we call sanctification, strip away and reveal every single thing that gets in the way of you surrendering to love. Because at the end of the day, it's like at some point we will all die. And you're not going to be caring about the bills that you need to pay. You're not going to be thinking about, man, I just wish I had another condo in Miami. You're not going to be thinking, it's literally like, man, what did I do with my life? And did I live a life that I can proudly say that I was a person of love, that was known for loving, that was known to have a deep, intimate relationship with God. So we'd love to pray for us and feel free to just stick around. And if you need prayer, any of us up here, we'd love to pray for you. Um, And also, you you guys may have the little card sheet that says prayer on it. We, We seriously want to be a church where our foundation is prayer. If you feel led with anything where you're like, man, I just need prayer in this, if you could write that down and just turn it into the box by the door where it says generosity, just throw it into that box. We'd love to be praying for you. And uh, so let's pray. Jesus, we just, um, God, we we live in some a weird time of history, Lord. We We live in a time where Man, like it's hard to be a Christian sometimes because everybody else does things their way. And man, like they they, they see us as almost like this minority fringe of crazy people that, you know, how could they do such a weird archaic thing that's so old school? And God, we if we can be honest and just really repent sometimes, Lord, I I think there's often times where we feel like, man, I dress rather blend in than stick out as a salty, you know, light of the world. And Father, I just pray right now that you would just remind us, God, that that it's all a gift, Lord, of your forgiveness, your mercy, your love. And God, we just want to be people that are known to love well. We want to become, as you say, Jesus, a person of love and become love and be transformed into love. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us, help us to really tune into the, the depths of our soul that is crying out for real change. So lord i just pray a blessing over these people here i pray for a filling of your spirit i pray the breaking off of any demonic attachments of any sort of idols of any disordered desire that is getting in the way of knowing your love deeper and i pray father this week that we can trust in your love a little bit more each day that we can take one step at a time and come to know you a little bit more each day and to truly surrender all of our hearts until it is all yours So Father, may you shine your face on these people. May you keep them and may you bless them. Pray this in Jesus' name. And uh, one last thing for next week, um, we usually like to do one community week where we just prioritize kind of doing life around the table, you know, eating some good food and just getting to know people. So next week we are doing that. Location is to be announced, but we will have food. It's gonna be here after service and we will have food. It'll be a good time, and we'd love to talk to you and just party and get to know you the Jesus way. So, Thanks for coming, guys. We love you. Stick around. Hang out. See you next week. Bye-bye.